Welcome to the Transform Your 20s podcast, hosted by yours truly, Tori Penta. I'm here to help you make your 20s the most transformational time of your life and teach you everything I've learned about how to navigate change and adversity with confidence, tap into your potential, and uplevel your life. On this podcast, I'll be giving you my best advice and ways to shift your mindset so that you can create measurable change in your own life, make choices that align to your true purpose, navigate life shifts and transitions with ease, and most importantly, make your 20s a time of radical transformation. Hello, friends. Um, Boy, oh boy, do we have an episode today. I have an absolute rock star guest on today's podcast, and I could not be more excited about it. Um, Her name is Jillian Graves, and she is a functional registered dietitian along with many other things. She is so knowledgeable and we really dive deep into the importance of bio-individuality, meal mindsets, debunking some myths around food, and really navigating social media and all of the external noise regarding diets and diet culture, as well as really diving into hormones and how to maximize our hormones, especially as women, um, as well as balancing blood sugar. So we cover so many different topics. I'm super psyched about this episode. I think that it is so valuable, and I know I got so much out of it and learned so much from it myself. So grab your pen, grab your paper, and get ready to dive in. One last thing I want to say is... While Jillian provides a lot of information and insight and examples of really good tips, tricks, meals, things like that, every single person is different and just make sure you take this with a grain of salt and do so by learning and taking as much as you can and really in the context of your life and who you are, knowing that we're all different and all of our needs may vary and shift as we do. So with that, let's dive right on in. Hello. Hi, Jillian. It's so good to have you on the Transform Your 20s podcast. I'm super stoked that we get to have this conversation and have it be something that we can share um, with so many people. So welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and um, thank you for having me. Sure thing. Um, So I love to start all my podcasts with a fun little question just to kind of get like the ball rolling. Um, my go-to question and people who know me well know that I love to ask this question at the dinner table or just with anybody, but it is if tomorrow is your last day on earth and you have to build like one plate, like your final food alignment situation, what would be on it? I love that question as a, um, (laughs) lifelong foodie at heart, um, so I honestly, I, I would jump right in and I don't know if I necessarily even have, you know, elements that I'd want on that plate. I'm just going to jump right in and say fish tacos, last <laughs> meal on earth. Um, I don't think there's any, anything else I'd want to go out with than some good fish tacos. That's awesome. I know people are huge taco people and I've heard good things about fish tacos. I've actually never had fish tacos, which is kind of crazy, What? but yeah, well, I'm so pumped you're here and in the spirit of food um and all these things it's awesome to get to chat with you about such a hot topic right now and I know you and I had the privilege of working together for a series of months and really learning and healing some of my own journey and relationship to food as well as understanding my hormones understanding my body and really getting clear on how to feel good in my own body and a lot of what we're talking about on this podcast and the conversations that 
we're having and this audience is engaging in is how can we show up in a way that feels really good during a time in our lives where there's so much change and so much flux and so much content and information coming at us. And a huge part of that is how we physically feel and how we mentally feel. And as you know, because of the work you do, a lot of that has to do with how we fuel our bodies, how we understand our hormones and the importance of really getting clear on that. So I would love to start just by asking you a little bit about how you got into this work as a functional dietitian and just your story of navigating your own period of uncertainty and finding alignment in your career. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I love that question. And I think um, everyone sort of has their their own journey to, you know, how, how they came to understand their body or, you know, became interested in nutrition. For me, I think when I personally became um, interested in functional nutrition, specifically uh, hormones and gut health, I was in my 20s and I was in um, grad school at Tufts. I was, so I'd already been studying nutrition for a while in terms of, you know, um, in undergrad. And then I was getting my master's in nutrition at Tufts. I was working full-time in clinical nutrition research and was super busy, you know, stretching myself really thin, working a ton, um, you know, doing lots of, you know, hit training, doing all the things that I thought were super, super healthy. Um, I'd been on hormonal birth control for maybe 10, 11 years at that time. And despite feeling like I was sort of doing all these really healthy things for, for my body, um, things started to go haywire. Um, I started experiencing my own symptoms and was feeling really, really frustrated with the lack of support that I was getting from my conventional providers. And that sort of motiv motivated me to dig a little bit deeper and to start really delving into the research on hormones and digestive health. Um, getting advanced training in functional medicine and, you know, eventually healing my own body and sort of changing my entire approach to food and nutrition and, and lifestyle um, to really align my life with supporting my hormones and working with my body. Um, so, you know, I had some personal health struggles that I think really led me to be specifically interested in this field and working with women who go through similar experiences. Really cool. And so for those listening who may not understand the difference between functional and conventional um, approaches, do you mind just kind of summarizing or getting a little clearer on what that difference is? Because I know there's a lot of talk about those terms, but some people may not actually know what that means. Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I think th this field is a little bit polarizing right now. So I, I always like to preface this too by, you know, it's not that conventional medicine is bad and functional medicine is good. At the end of the day, um, I'm so appreciative of conventional medicine and everything that it offers. Um, but I think there are some significant gaps in how our conventional system works because it was sort of built on, um, you know, when, when the biggest threats to human life were infectious diseases, right? And now the, the biggest threats to humans are chronic diseases and things that are preventable with diet and lifestyle. Um, and a lot of the tools that conventional medicine has for supporting individuals are symptom management and medications that often band-aid symptoms and don't 
uh, get at the root of the problem or support individuals holistically, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. I, it, you know, in a nutshell, I often think about conventional medicine as sort of uh, re a little bit reactive in some situations um, where, you know, if there is an irregular period, a person is offered birth control to shut down the reproductive system. Or if they have acne, they're offered birth control or Accutane. And it's sort of like, you know, um, a little bit of a Band-Aid. With functional medicine, we sort of ask the question, why? Um, why this symptom? Why now? You know, and where is this coming from? And really try to dig a little bit deeper to understand the core root causes or imbalances in the body that might be driving those symptoms in the first place. Um, and then really trying to support things with, you know, diet, lifestyle, and, and things like that. Um, and, you know, functional medicine isn't like an anti-medication approach. Um, it's really just a little bit more of a holistic root cause approach. Awesome. That's so helpful. And I think really clearly articulates, you know, how those two married together can really be wonderful. I think I want to drill a little bit more into, you talked about your experience with birth control mm -hmm. and you also just mentioned that like band-aiding versus really driving the root cause of a lot of imbalances that can happen. And I think as women, and we have a lot of women listeners here, we aren't really educated on our menstrual cycles or our cycles no. at all. And personally, like I didn't even realize there was more to it than just getting a period and, you know, making sure you don't get pregnant or like protective measures in that sense, I really didn't realize that there could be more to the story. And we yeah. have to leverage our own intuition and, the, and understanding our cycle as a tool to feeling and understanding some of the, the symptoms we're having. And I would love for you to talk a little bit more about hormones and as at a base level, how mm -hmm. we can understand as young women and women in this period of 20s to 30s, where it's very, you know, important to understand mm -hmm. our systems. Um, can you just talk about that a little bit and give some people some background on how we can like really look holistically? And I know yeah. it's a big topic. So, <laughs> yeah. And I think to, to mention a couple of things too, where, you know, I, I didn't understand my body or my menstrual cycle or female, you know, sex hormones until after I had you know, um, uh, undergrad degree, a master's degree, and then had to specifically seek out advanced training and do a ton of research, you know, in this field. So women are just not educated about their own bodies, which I think is, you know, the biggest problem to begin with. Um, and when it comes to the birth control piece of things, you know, women are often given birth control at a really young age for a variety of things like, oh, heavy periods or cramps or skin issues. And they're not given the full story and they're not kind of uh, given the information I think they should to be able to make a really educated decision there. Um, and I think for women in their 20s, when we're thinking about hormones, um, I think, well, I guess to, to, take a step back when we're talking about hormones and hormone health, um, in a broad sense, that's definitely a really big term and it's a really sort of trendy term right now. Um, but if we're talking about hormone health, we are talking about the endocrine system and the different, um, kind of chemical messengers that your body sends out or AKA hormones, these chemical messengers that essentially control everything going on in the body. So they tell every part of your body what to do, when to do it, how long to do it for essentially. Um, when we're talking about hormone health, often we're thinking about sex hormones. So some of the hormones that 
um, primarily control ovulation in the menstrual cycle. And then we also have stress hormones and thyroid hormones and all sorts of hormones in the body. Um, I think for women in their twenties, some of them, one of the most important things that I think women can do is start to really learn, learn about the menstrual cycle. So learn about basic sex hormones and what's happening during the different phases of the menstrual cycle. So you can use this information to identify, you know, if things feel a little bit off or really to just, um, understand the natural shifts that are occurring. So you can really use that to your advantage to, um, optimize energy and, you know, also to understand when maybe dips in energy or shifts in mood occur to be able to lean into that and, and align, you know, your nutrition, your lifestyle behaviors with some of those fluctuations, um, to really optimize every aspect of your health versus sort of working against your body, if that makes sense. Totally makes sense. And, um, I think it's crucial. I know from my own experience, beginning to honor the different phases of my menstrual cycle and adjust my diet and my movement to that was a huge experience for me. So when you say phases of the menstrual cycle, do you mind just explaining what that means? Because I know, you know, we know we get our period, but it's like, what else? Right. My phases. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so in a nutshell, we kind of break the menstrual cycle down into a, a few different phases. So, um, we have the follicular phase, which is sort of the first part of our cycle. So the follicular phase technically starts, um, with day one of your period, or, you know, when you have your first kind of full day of, uh, of bleeding, that's day one of the follicular phase. Um, from there, the follicular phase usually lasts about, you know, two weeks or so for most women. And the, in the beginning of the follicular phase, that's when overall hormone levels are just at their lowest. And throughout the rest of the follicular phase, um, your body starts to produce more and more estrogen. And then about, you know, halfway through your cycle, estrogen peaks and that stimulates ovulation to occur. So mid cycle, you ovulate and then you move into your luteal phase. Your luteal phase is that second half of your cycle, um, which ideally will also be about, you know, two weeks long where you have estrogen and now your body's also producing progesterone after you ovulate. Um, and then for the next, you know, two weeks, those are kind of the, the dominant hormones. And if implantation doesn't occur, you don't get pregnant um, at about two weeks those hormone levels plummet, they drop, and that stimulates your body to shed the uterine lining and you get your period. Um, and then the whole cycle starts over again and you're, you know, then in your, your follicular phase again. Um, so in the, the follicular phase, that's sort of a time period where typically um, energy is going to be at its highest and energy is sort of increasing, um, you know, all the way through ovulation. So that's usually a time period where we are, um, you know, we can experience more energy. Our body is a little bit more metabolically flexible. So we, we can get more variety with workouts, kind of do, you know, higher intensity stuff. If that feels good for you, um, after ovulation, when, you know, we have estrogen, we have progesterone, this is a time in our cycle where, um, the body is a little, I guess, less metabolically flexible, um, you know, we are more prone to blood sugar fluctuations. There's more inflammation in the body. And that's a time period where energy 
you know, starts to decline a little bit. And that's a, an amazing opportunity to, um, you know, lean into, you know, lower impact movement and making sure that we're really listening to the body and not kind of aggravating things during a time where the body needs a little bit more support and rest. Super helpful, super, super helpful. Um, to that end, uh, I think that there's this tendency to feel the need, I think as women, but also as anybody who is excited about their well-being, to really kind of dive into the space of working out more and eating less. Um, and mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit about that in regards to hormone balancing and the combination of not diet culture. I don't love the word diet, but it's kind of this idea of optimizing the self through food and movement mm -hmm. and also leveraging this information you just shared about the hormone cycles in our bodies and thinking about what are the things that maybe misconceptions or that mm -hmm. feel like we're being healthy, but actually could be working against us from a hormone perspective. And yeah. You know, I don't know if we want to, we can focus on maybe the movement side of things and the fueling where I know we worked on this a little bit of feeling mm -hmm. this need to go, 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 go. And it was actually kicking me in the butt. So I would love to have yeah. you talk about that a little bit. Um, yeah. So I, I will confidently say one of the biggest mistakes that I see women in their twenties making is over-exercising and under-fueling, um, whether it be under-fueling calorically, under-fueling with certain important macronutrients. Um, and a lot of it does happen unintentionally in the pursuit of health. Um, but just based off all of the messages out there that tell women, it, you know, eat less, go low carb, intermittent fast, do, you know, food combining, all these sorts of crazy things. And, you know, women start kind of picking up pieces of all of these things. And then at the end of the day, you know, are essentially left with, you know, a lot of restrictive behaviors that are not supporting their bodies. Um, and I think it's important to, to remember that women's bodies of reproductive age are very sensitive to stressors. So, you know, exercise is a stressor on the body. Caloric restriction is a stressor on the body. Going too low carb is a stressor on the body. And our modern society is also very, you know, stressful. So, you know, we have to look at the individual um, and the context of their life and all of these different stressors that are adding up. Um, so, you know, um, so as I mentioned, you know, women's body is very sensitive to stressors. And what I see often is, um, you know, relying really heavily on all of these external guidelines or trends. And then, you know, that leads to too much stress hormones, which impacts sex hormones, which impacts, you know, thyroid hormones, um, you know, then blood sugar is off. And it's just sort of this, this ripple effect. Um, and I think what it really boils down to is a lot, well, I see a lot of women working against their bodies versus working for their bodies and with their bodies. And I think the, the entire approach and mindset really needs to shift for women um, away from kind of a deprivation approach to a true nourishment approach. Like how can I, how can I really nourish my body in the best way possible? How can I give it enough energy to do everything that it needs? How can I optimize my carbohydrate intake to give it, you know, the energy and fuel that it needs to, to do what I'm asking it to do versus how can I eat less? How can I, you know, cut carbs more? How can I work out harder, which is just going to lead to, 
hormone imbalance and uh, ultimately unpleasant, you know, symptoms at the end of the day, like, you know, anxiety and, you know, significant PMS issues and energy dips and things like that. So much to, to dive into there. I just, there's just literally so much to talk about. I know. Um, it's just, it's so fascinating to me and it's, it's so crazy how, while it's such a blessing to have so much information at our fingertips, it is also so confusing to mm-hmm. try to be chasing and optimizing yourself and end up down these rabbit holes where you're like, why do I feel so sh- shitty when there's so many things telling me that this make me feel better? So I guess I would ask, you know, when thinking about at a baseline, you know, how, how to start getting in tune with what actually could help you from a hormone perspective and just a a female in their twenties perspective, when thinking about food and lifestyle, what are some foundational things that, you know, are simple that our audience or anybody that you would advise to start who maybe doesn't have access to a functional dietitian or anything could, could do, is it, you know, thinking about meals and and all those things. I would love to hear what, what you would. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, first and foremost, what I would say is I, I want women to know that, you know, it's, I think we need to be really careful about the overconsumption of nutrition, health information, and sort of start to create our own filter and recognize that just because someone's doing something, or even if there's research to support that specific strategy or tool does not mean that it's going to be a health promoting tool in the context of your life. Um, So I think that's really important to know first and foremost. And when it comes to kind of some basic things that individuals can get started with, First thing I I really like my clients to do is to tune in with their own bodies because we rely far too much on external guidelines and ignore those crucial signals that our bodies are giving us. Um, So things that I like clients to start to tap into a little bit are things like sleep. You know, how am I sleeping? Do I have trouble falling asleep, staying asleep? Um, What are my energy levels like throughout the day? How's my mood? How's my digestion feeling? Um, And just start to really tap into those signals observationally and and listen to that information that your body is giving you. Um, So I think that's really important important first and foremost. Um, From there, some basic things that I think women can do. I guess one of the most important and foundational things for uh, supporting hormones is is balancing blood sugar. Um, so without getting you know too into the weeds talking about blood sugar, since you know that's a, a loaded topic in itself, you cannot balance your hormones if your blood sugar is not stable. Um, and you know, sex hormones will be all over the place. Thyroid hormones will be disturbed. Stress hormones will be disturbed. So I think focusing on blood sugar balance first and foremost is really, really important. And the easiest way to get started with that is thinking about um, how frequently you're eating and just the basic composition of meals. So um, I would recommend that women make sure they are eating about, you know, every three to five hours throughout the day, very consistently, and ideally having something to eat in the morning, you know, within an hour or two of waking. Um, If we are going super long stretches of time without eating, that is going to be a significant stressor on the body that is going to jack up stress hormones. So eat really consistently and lean into how that makes your body feel. Um, In terms of meal composition on a really basic level, you know, think about having 
balanced meals. So a carbohydrate, a protein, a fat, some veggies, and, you know, really just round out these meals to give your body consistent nourishment. Um, and I think this is particularly relevant for people that, um, you know, are, you know, go in the very low carb approach, which usually does not work well for women of reproductive age is making sure that you're incorporating carbohydrates and you have a variety of, of food groups at, at your meals to keep things super stable and to nourish your body on a basic level. Awesome. Can we talk a little bit more about, uh, going long periods of time without eating? So intermittent fasting, because mm -hmm. I think what's really confusing and I had a really hard time with this as somebody who is so obsessed with wellness and learning about it. I was always focused on the next hot trend, the next thing I could be doing. People, peers close to me, people I am really inspired by and who are insanely fit, you know, embody this energy of like thriving on mm -hmm. a intermittent fasting type of diet, a um, really basic level, like food combining. I, I tried food combining for a little while, like that meal composition side of things we talked about. I think it's really confusing when you see people thriving on that. And again, the importance of bioindividuality is a whole other conversation, but why is intermittent fasting like this hot topic? And why are you kind of advocating for not long stretches of periods of time without food? Mm -hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Absolutely. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of women are confused by because um, there's a lot of misinformation out there. And, and what I will say is there is some good research to support intermittent fasting. It's newer research, you know, so we have smaller studies. Um, however, there is some research to support it in terms of some metabolic benefits with things like blood sugar and, and gut health. Couple things that we need to call out are that most of the research we have on intermittent fasting have been done on men and mice. And this is not going to translate directly to um, women of reproductive age. So we have to consider the populations that were studied first and foremost, um, and know that there are some significant differences there. Um, I think what's also important to call out too is that what I see a lot of women doing is this time restricted eating that is essentially just skipping meals. So like skipping breakfast and having this super prolonged fast overnight. And what newer research is actually indicating is that, um, you know, eating in line with the circadian rhythm is actually most supportive for overall hormone balance. And what that means when I'm talking about eating to support the circadian rhythm is having something to eat soon after waking in the morning to break your overnight fast and then eating consistently throughout the day after that. Um, if we are skipping breakfast in the morning and you know, you're going 18 hours, 16 hours, whatever, without eating, that is such a significant stressor on the body. And, you know, in some circumstances, you know, in animal models or, you know, in, uh, in men, maybe that's an approach that works. Um, but we have to think about the context of women of reproductive age in a very stressful society. So, um, you know, some of these tools can be helpful in the right context, but they can also be really harmful in the, the wrong context. So, um, so I think women are sort of implementing these things in the wrong way. And they're sort of treating intermittent fasting like an emotionally charged diet 
versus a tool where fasting is a tool. Um, it's not a diet. And I think that's where we need to make the separation as well. Um, but prolonged fasting definitely is something that I see, uh, really mess with women's hormones and end up putting too much stress on the body, leading to disruptions in, um, the menstrual cycle, leading to lots of stress, um, leading to things like inflammation. So my recommendation is to focus on eating in line with the circadian rhythm in general. So, you know, first thing, when you wake up in the morning, eat consistently throughout the day and Research also tells us that there are benefits to just a, a gentle, natural 12 to 14 hour fast overnight where, you know, maybe you have um, dinner at, you know, 7 p.m. and then you're breaking your fast at 7 a.m. or 8 a.m. the next morning. There are benefits to that type of just natural fasting and you don't have to work against your body um, in order to reap those benefits. Totally. Totally. And I think that's really clarifying for so many people. And I think even just the fact alone that, you know, women of reproductive age aren't the test subjects for a lot of these things is mm -hmm. really awakening and enlightening. Yeah. Um, so I'm, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, something I think that I see a lot too, going back to like tuning into what your body is telling you is, you know, I'll see women skipping breakfast as sort of what they feel as a form of intermittent fasting. And you know, their energy sucks and they're like, you know, overeating at night and they're bloated and they're feeling horrible, but then they're continuing to engage in these behaviors. And that's where I think we need to sort of pause and ask ourselves like, okay, how is this actually serving me? And what are the signals my body is giving me? If I am like ravenous and stressed and moody and I'm not sleeping well, this is probably not a good approach. For sure. For sure. And I think one, one thing as well, I would love for you to touch on in this realm is if someone came back to you and said, but Jillian, I feel like super alive and alert when I just am having, you know, I'm waking up, I'm not really touching any food, I'm having coffee, and I'm just able to really dive in and focus. And I feel really like focused and sharp and alive and awake. What would you say to that? Because I think there's that push pull tension, yeah. people feeling that and not really understanding that that might be something else and not necessarily yeah. what it appears to be. Totally. I love that question. And I see this so often where what, what you're describing is likely um, an individual confusing energy with a stress response. <laughs> so if you're fasting overnight and you're waking up, blood sugar's low, and then you're adding caffeine into the mix, you are impacting the adrenal glands and your body is going to be pumping out cortisol, epinephrine, stress hormones, which I think a lot of women will confuse as being energy when actually that's a, a be, your body being in a state of fight or flight. So I think it's important to kind of tease those two things apart to understand what true energy is um, in terms of feeling stable energy, um, you know, a great you know, sort of cognition and, and clear mood that comes from fuel versus coming from stress hormones. So what are ways if, if we have a lot of coffee lovers or like matcha yeah. lovers, you know, this is a big one for me because I am a huge coffee lover. What's a way or a couple of ways we can still enjoy the practice or that, that experience of having maybe like a caffeinated beverage in the morning, if it does serve mm -hmm. us, um, and not necessarily shoot ourselves in the foot by driving up our cortisol. Yeah, totally. So, you know, I think ideally having food alongside coffee or having food first and then having your coffee or matcha would be ideal. So you 
you know, um, you're breaking your fast, you're bringing up blood sugar a little bit, um, and then the food is sort of acting like a buffer. So the caffeine isn't, you know, jacking up the stress hormones. If you are not having food first, I would at the very least recommend adding potentially some protein, maybe some fat to the coffee. So maybe mix in a little collagen or mix in some coconut cream and some things that again, like can sort of act as a buffer to slow down the hit of caffeine on the adrenals. Awesome. So, so, so helpful. So helpful. I feel like that one is a big, big confusing one, especially with our like millennial generation who are the corporate like workforce grinded out energy just like let's get my coffee and and send it and I definitely have been that human so that's so helpful to know and understand I think one more thing on this topic of um kind of like food trends and navigating that I find that there is a big separation between like science and the spiritual world. And what I mean by this is as somebody myself who's really aligned to awakened consciousness and understanding energy and the body and the world in which we live in and manifestation and all of these like spiritual concepts that are sort of new age ways of thinking. I found that a lot of the conversation supporting food and nutrition and diet around those things are really focused in a plant-based space. So what I mean by that is intuitive eating and just being really in flow and energy in flow. And I really understand that. Like it makes so much logical sense to me, especially with the way that I love to do mindset work and learn about mindset work. What I'm asking is like, how can we bridge that gap between some of these concepts that are foundational hormonally and also allow the space for that like mindset, spirituality, energetic flow, openness to what's possible. And I know it's kind of a weird circular question, but I'm not sure if you're hearing what I'm hitting on. Like how can we start yeah. to agree and why is it so separate? Yeah. So I think I get what you're, you're asking there and you can stop me if I'm going in the wrong direction. But um, so, because I, I talk about intuitive eating a lot with my clients and sort of tapping into to some of that. Um, and I think there's some misconceptions there from, from my perspective that, um, you know, kind of eating intuitively is just about, you know, going with the flow and listening to the, the biological signals and, and kind of tapping into that energy, which yes, that's a big piece of it. However, there are a lot of things that can skew biological cues and, you know, there are individual needs that may not be captured in some of that intuition and that flow all the time. So this is where I think um, gentle nutrition really comes into play, where we can utilize both the inner wisdom and the outer wisdom, the outer wisdom being some of the external nutrition knowledge around how to fuel your body on a basic level. And, you know, you can lean into that intuition and the inner wisdom first And then, you know, kind of incorporate some of the nutrition knowledge that you have to also make sure you're supporting your body fully. Um, Just the most basic example I can can, um, give where that would be helpful would be in regards to things like, you know, hunger, where um, ideally, you know, we're gonna eat when we're hungry and stop when we're full and just totally tap into those biological signals. But it's also important to recognize that there are things that can influence the reliability of those biological signals like stress and, you know, our schedules. And so being able to 
you know, tune in with the body and listen to hunger and fullness is so important, but also recognizing like, Hey, I'm, I'm in a stressful period of life right now. And my hunger cues are a little bit wonky. So I need to make sure that I'm eating on a consistent schedule, even though my hunger feels a little bit off because I know I need to meet my basic needs, if that makes sense. So I think, you know, tapping into both of those is important. And that's sort of where the sweet spot is in, in my opinion. hundred percent. And you hit the nail on the head. So yes, you totally answered the question. I think it's like finding the marriage. <laughs> um, so I know we have just like 15 minutes left, but I want to hit on one more area um, before we kind of wrap things up, which is meal mindset and the connection between the mind in the body, which I think is very much aligned to what we just were chatting about. And a lot of times we think that digestion is just the food we're putting in, but I know we talked about this a lot in our work together, that the way that we're thinking about food, the way that we're talking to ourselves about food and the way that we energetically show up to a meal can really dictate and impact the way that we digest. So I'd love for you to talk a little mm -hmm. bit more about that and about some of the things that you see women or, or even men doing around mealtime that can negatively impact how they actually are digesting. And then little tips and tricks mm -hmm. you might have for really optimizing digestion and mood sensitivities, um, kind of connecting that mind body area. Yeah, I love that question. And I, I think that's so huge. And it's something I, I work on with pretty much every, every one of my clients. So I think we could all, all benefit from um, thinking about that a little bit. So, you know, I think what you're essentially referring to is kind of the gut brain connection, right? That, that bi-directional communication between the gut and the brain, um, and you know, how interconnected these two things are. Um, so I guess to, to boil it down, how you eat and the state that your body is in when you are eating significantly impacts digestion. Um, and there's just a couple pieces to, to tease apart with this. So, um, when it comes to how you're eating, um, what I find in, in our modern society, again, is that a lot of us are, um, you know, eating super fast. We're eating while we're doing 10 million other things. We're emailing, we're on our phone and this actually can significantly impair digestion. So, um, you know, when we are, uh, eating, I think what a lot of people don't know is that the first phase of digestion, the cephalic phase, where you produce 20% of digestive secretions is when you're actually just looking at food. So you're seeing it, you're smelling it before it even touches your mouth. So if we're like glued into email or on our phone and we're barely even looking at our food, digestion is already going to be impaired and we're not going to produce enough of those digestive secretions to break down food. Um, and then if we're, you know, scarfing food and huffing it down, and not chew. Um, so, so yeah, so if we, um, so when we're eating, if we're, we're huffing down food, eating really quickly, we are going to be swallowing huge food particles that are going to be hard for the body to break down. We're not going to produce enough digestive enzymes to break down food. And, you know, this is going to be really hard on the digestive system. And we're also not going to absorb nutrients from food as well as, as we would like. Um, and that's something I see a lot with women where, you know, they feel crappy after meals, they're bloated, they have upper GI symptoms. And sometimes, you know, improving that is as basic as, all right, let me focus on how I am eating. Let me minimize distractions, you know, pause from work and really focus on the experience of eating, 
chewing food slowly, thoroughly, um, allowing your body enough time to produce all the secretions you know, needed to break down food. And that can really, really help with digestion and, and improve the absorption of nutrients. The other piece of this that you were mentioning is I think, you know, that the state that your body is in when it's eating. And I think this is so, so, so important. Um, so if we are eating in a state of higher stress or what we refer to as kind of your fight or flight mode, this is going to directly impair digestion. Um, and I think what I see a lot with my clients is we are often chronically in a state of fight or flight and we've sort of normalized it, right? So we are experiencing um, all of this stress response, uh, you know, activation and we have elevated stress hormones just from like the day-to-day -day of, you know, the to-do list and the grind with work. And we don't even realize that our body's in that state. Um, so when you go into a meal, the body's sort of in that chronic fight or flight mode. What happens is, digestive secretions are suppressed. So in the, when stress hormones are higher, um, digestive secretions like stomach acid and digestive enzymes are squashed and your body will actually also di divert blood flow away from your digestive organs. Um, and you cannot break down and absorb nutrients from food optimally. So one of the most important things that you can do um, and that's what contributes to a lot of digestive symptoms too, like the bloating, um, you know, and, and heartburn and things like that. So one of the most important things that you can, you know, explore is, or just kind of get curious about is, you know, how you can get your body into a little bit more of a relaxed state or a parasympathetic state, that rest or digest mode versus the fight or flight mode to really optimize digestion. Um, and some of my like really easy favorite um, tips or tricks there would be to, you know, just sort of pause and check in with your body at mealtime. Um, and consider taking a few slow, deep belly breaths. So a little bit of controlled breathing, um, you know, it, there's all sorts of different, uh, breath work techniques out there. It doesn't have to be complicated, like some four, seven, eight breathing or box breathing, something that you can do quickly, discreetly tap into how your body's feeling, try to get yourself into a more relaxed state. And that can make a tremendous difference in how your body is digesting and absorbing food. So, so helpful. So helpful. I think it's definitely something where we all kind of toss to the side, that state of yeah. being and that ability to just ground in before meals. And it can be so impactful. So that's so, yeah. so helpful. Um, I guess the last thing before we finish, um, would you mind just kind of giving an example of a day of fueling at a base level for somebody like just like an average person knowing nothing about their you know individual makeup but kind mm -hmm. of just an idea of a good flow of a day that could really support optimal um well-being from a very baseline level mm -hmm. just you know from maybe wake, waking to breakfast lunch dinner and evening yeah yeah. And, um, in terms of, do you want kind of like food meal examples in there? Yeah. Or just yeah basic. And you can keep it, okay. you can keep it as basic cool. or as detailed as you want. Um, honestly, there's no okay. script for it, but I think it would help our audience okay. to kind of think about implementing some of these things in their own day to day. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and I'll give some food examples because I think that's fun and obviously preface this. And you've said this a few times. Um, 
bioindividuality is important, you know, so much plays a role, you know, a lot of things play a role in what we eat, how much we eat. Um, so that's going to be completely personalized. But I would say taking you through sort of an ideal day that's super supportive of hormones. Um, I would say, you know, waking up in the morning and first thing, having some water, maybe some electrolytes in there. So hydrating, supporting cellular hydration, and then trying to get a little bit of sunlight exposure. So maybe that means popping outside for a nice walk or sitting by a sunny window and enjoying your water and taking in a little bit of natural sunlight, which helps to support circadian rhythms and, and hormonal balance. And then ideally having um, some really well-rounded nourishment in the form of a great breakfast. So what that might look like. So I'm thinking carbs, protein, fat, fiber. Um, so that could be, you know, some eggs with, you know, maybe you do two, three eggs, some sweet potato, some spinach and half an avocado, something like that. So you get this, you know, nice, well-rounded fuel. Ideally from there, you know, maybe four hours later, you have your lunch and lunch could be, you know, maybe it's a green leafy salad with some lentils and smoked salmon, some veggies and a fun bottled dressing that you like. So again, carbs, protein, fat, veggies, nice balanced meal there. And then, you know, maybe a, you know, a few hours after that, you're thinking you're going to you know, work out or go to the gym or do something active. Um, so I would recommend having a pre-workout snack, something that has, you know, a little carb, a little fat. So maybe you have midday, you know, before you work out apple and some nut butter. Um, then you have your great workout, you know, come home a few hours later, you have a great dinner. So again, something super well-rounded, maybe you do, you know, some quinoa, some salmon, some broccoli. So carbs, protein, fat, fiber, um, and really, you know, sort of consistent, great nourishment there. Um, and then I guess taking it all the way up to the evening, I would say, um, ideally in the evening for supporting hormonal balance, we will, um, you know, cut down on blue light about 90 minutes or so before bed. Maybe that means wearing, you know, some amber blue light blockers or shutting off the screens and doing some reading, taking a bath um, and having sort of a nice relaxing nighttime routine that also supports circadian rhythms, which is important for, you know, uh, the production of hormones that actually help us to fall asleep at night. Um, so that's Amazing. sort of a, a general That was day. so helpful. And also okay. guys, I will link all of Jillian's, um, like her blog and her ways to like book a call with her, but she has some amazing recipes on both her Instagram and her website. So, um, just feel free to check them out. But I guess lastly, you, can you just share with the audience, your Instagram handle, your, um, like ways someone could book a discovery call with you if they're interested, um, if you're still taking clients and also maybe just like a book or podcast recommendation you have, um, could be about, food, nutrition, wellness, and that sense could be completely unrelated, but would love right. to leave that with our audience just so they can check you out. I'll link all of your info in the show notes as well, but just cool. want to give you the chance to share because I'm sure people will be 
super curious to like check you out and learn more. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess starting with the question about um, other, you know, like books or podcasts, things that I think would be so relevant for women in their twenties. I have two books that I, I recommend often. One being um, The Fifth Vital Sign by Lisa Hendrickson Jack, which is a fabulous book learning about all things female hormones and the, the female body. I also really like In the Flow by Alyssa Vitti, which is a fabulous book that talks a little bit about uh, the menstrual cycle and how you can sort of sync up, you know, your diet and lifestyle to support those fluctuations. Um, love those two. And then for a podcast, I love the Functional Nutrition podcast uh, by Erin Holt. She is an amazing functional provider and she has a uh, she does a, a really amazing job of, of living in the gray space and helping people sort of navigate some of the things that we're discussing. So she talks about some great topics. And then in terms of where to find me, um, you can find me over on Instagram at Jillian Greaves RD. And you can also check out my website, JillianGreaves.com. I have all sorts of, you know, recipes, articles, resources there. And if you're interested in learning about my functional nutrition, you know, programs, working with me one-on-one, -on -one, you can fill out an application on my website. Thank you so, so much. So helpful. I feel so grateful to get the space to talk with you even more and share this information with everybody. I, I just am so stoked for people to listen to this. I think there's so many golden nuggets um, and you're amazing and incredible. So thank you so oh my much. Gosh. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was fun. Of course. Well, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode and if you find that this resonates or feels super valuable to you, please make sure you screenshot, post and tag me on Instagram so that we can connect. I'd love to connect with you beyond the podcast and to stay in the know and get notified when the next episode drops here on Transform Your 20s. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes so that you never miss a beat. In the meantime, have an incredible day. I appreciate you so, so much and see you next time.